Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The most important story in America is not what's happening in Ukraine. What's happening in Ukraine is awful. Russia is an invading force. Putin is the enemy of free and thinking people. Ukraine is not perfect. Ukraine has problems, and so does Zelensky. But Zelensky, standing up to Putin, is remarkable to witness. I have issue with referring to him as Churchill or making Churchillian-type comparisons. But standing strong in the midst of the fight, maybe i got to give that even more respect than I am. Maybe I have to make a comparison to the Blitzkrieg. Keeping a nation focused, keeping a nation together, keeping a nation free, keeping up the hopes that you will make it to the better tomorrow, absolutely, is worthy of respect. May I ask how we're supposed to make it to the better tomorrow when it is very obvious that we have organizations and people willing to lie to Americans, willing to keep information from Americans so that they don't make the decision that some disapprove of. What am I saying? I am saying that Jack Dorsey is a criminal. I am saying that Twitter is guilty of putting their thumb on the scale and influencing an election here in the United States in 2020. I'm saying that Twitter has done what the Russians would fantasize about. And I'm saying that Twitter got help from an intelligentsia of pseudo-intellectuals that simply hated Trump more than they loved the country and hated you and me most of all. I'm going to prove that right now. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY-833-468-8669. And as I discuss this, I ask you, if you think what Twitter did was okay, Let me know. I want to hear you defend Twitter. I want to hear anyone defend Twitter. And I want anybody to tell me how my conversation is a political one. It is not. I got into depth with this on my video series, The Morning Rumble, at rumble.com, rumble.com slash Tony Katz. Subscribe there. Let's break down at least what happened. What happened is the New York Post broke a story about Hunter Hunter Biden and his emails, a laptop that was left at a computer repair shop in Delaware. Who the hell leaves their laptop? What, What do I know? It got left. It was left there. It was then uh, recovered by Rudy Giuliani, of all people. And the next thing you know, the next thing you know, there are emails on there. The emails that are on there show some pretty shady business dealings. And, of course, references to the big guy. The big guy is clearly Joe Biden. The big guy is clearly the idea that, hey, Hunter Biden's going to get a deal in Ukraine or a deal in China or here or there, wherever. Joe Biden's going to get a little taste, a little cut, a little piece, a little something, something. Look, that's how uh, these deals are, are, are made. You know it, and I know it. 
Is it so wrong that, I, that you know, the guy gets a little taste? You got to get the whole pie. I don't get a couple of, just a little something, you know, just for, out of respect. That's how it went down. That's how all of Hunter's deals go down because Hunter Biden has no skills whatsoever. Hunter Biden has never created anything. I doubt he makes the art. He has never created anything. He has never built anything. He has never, ever put himself on the line. Everything he has gotten in his entire life is because his last name is Biden. And sometimes you can't avoid the last name. In the case of Hunter Biden, he ran towards it and said, I'll let my dad do the heavy lifting. Just give me the job at Amtrak. And then let me have this job on the board of a gas concern called Burisma in Ukraine. And he's not the only one. I I think Romney makes money from Ukraine. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has a kid making money from Ukraine. If I had known, I would have had a couple of deals in Ukraine. Made a whole boatload of cash. Nobody told me. How rude. These emails were reported by the New York Post, October of 2020, I believe it is. And these emails were summarily written off. These emails, we were told... We're not real. As a matter of fact, a host of so-called experts, a host of so-called experts said that this had all the hallmarks, all of the hallmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. They knew that in five minutes. This is, this is all fake news. But it wasn't fake, now was it? They never investigated, now did they? They never cared enough to actually look. This would be bad for their guy, and they were more interested in winning an election than what was actually happening. Than what their what the guy they want to get into the office, what he might be about, and sure as bloody hell, what his son is about. Didn't matter. Trump is so bad, gotta get him out. Twitter went a step further. Twitter said, not only do we not believe this story, we won't even allow you to share it. This is Russian disinformation. We won't allow you to share that. A couple of so-called experts signed a letter and that was enough for Twitter. But they had backup. You had NPR, Terrence Samuels, NPR's managing editor for news, going back to October 2020. We don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories. And we don't want to waste the listeners' and readers' time on stories that are just pure distractions. But it wasn't a pure distraction. It was fact. It was fact then. It was fact two days ago when the New York Times said, hey, we looked at these emails and it turns out they're legit. And the federal uh, federal uh, government, Justice Department, is engaging a probe of Hunter Biden. He paid off a million dollars of taxes that he owed. He owed a million dollars in taxes. Son of a gun. You're such a schmuck for paying your taxes. Can I tell you? You fool. You fool. You pay your taxes. Have you learned nothing from Hunter and from Al Sharpton? You don't pay taxes. Other people pay taxes. But he guess, realized he had to pay up maybe because his dad was running for president, paid the million, took out a loan. He was able to get a loan for a million dollars. I ask right now, can you? Meanwhile, everything was legit when the New York Post said it. The New York Times is now confirming the story a year and a half later 
But at the time, NPR was like, this was just a waste of our time. Just a distraction. Then there was that famous interview, President Trump and Leslie Stahl of CBS. And you think it's the biggest issue to campaign on? I think it's this, I think it's one of the biggest scandals I've ever seen. And you don't cover it. Biggest you want to talk about... Well, because it can't be verified. You want to talk I'm about insignificant you. things. I'm telling you. Of course it can be verified. Excuse we, me. We they found the laptop. Leslie, Leslie. can't be verified. What can't be verified? The laptop. Why do you say that? Because Even the family hasn't... The family on the laptop... He's gone into hiding for five days. He's gone into hiding. He's preparing for your debate. Oh, it's taken him five days to prepare. I doubt it. I doubt it. Okay. All right. Leslie Stahl had absolutely no proof that it couldn't be verified. But she was told by the same circle of people how it's not able to be verified to decide it couldn't be verified. But yet we had a group of people who decided that it was it was typical, hallmark. Russian disinformation. How could they prove that? They could prove that, but we can't prove, we can't verify that the emails are the emails. Why? Because someone decided that's what we say, and they circled the wagons. And it wasn't just people on the so-called political left. It was people who hate Trump more than they like the idea of journalists being able to engage in their craft. Wait. You believe the computer repair shop story? Like at face value? That was a tweet from Jonah Goldberg, formerly of National Review, now uh, at the Dispatch. A guy who, let me be clear, has a brain and has done some study, but has put himself in just an absolutely awful spot of being completely untrustworthy and so deluded by his Trump hate can't see clearly. Believe the story. Are you telling me that the New York Post is just made up of liars? Because that is what Jonah Goldberg told you. And so with all of this, something fascinating happens. They ask then-candidate Biden about it, and look how he's able to respond. So what about the Americans who really today only want me to ask you Oh, you can't hear that, pretty sorry? By the way, here. Yes, yes. So you can't hear the question. All right, sorry about that. But the question is about Hunter Biden's laptop. Here's the answer from then Vice President Candidate Biden. By the way, it's, it's, there's nothing to any of that. Nothing to any of that. It's all a smear. Every major outfit, every serious investigator has pointed out that this is a smear. Isn't that convenient? They point out it's a smear, but they have no proof that it's a smear. They decided it was a smear. But, of course, they were all not telling the truth. It wasn't Russian disinformation. It wasn't a smear. It wasn't how could you believe such a story. It was journalists who had done the work, and it was an apparatus that was desperate to destroy Donald Trump and said, nope, dismiss it. But it gave Joe Biden cover and it gave Joe Biden, it it gave people like Jen Psaki cover. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, is asked about Joe Biden's position on the laptop. 
The New York Times has authenticated emails that appear to have come from a laptop abandoned by Hunter Biden in Delaware. Um, the president previously said that the New York Post story about this was a bunch of garbage and that it was a Russian plant. Does he stand by that assessment? I pointed the Department of Justice and also to Hunter Biden's representatives. He doesn't work in the government. Listen to how dismissive. But that was a question about what Joe Biden said. How about a question about what Jen Psaki herself said? You're asked about Hunter Biden's laptop. You also, in October 2020, dismissed it as Russian disinformation. Do you stand by that assessment? Again, uh, I point to the Department of Justice and Hunter Biden's representatives. Um, I'm a spokesperson for the United States. He doesn't work for the United States. The question was about the United States. It was about you. It was not about the United States. It was about you and what you said. She won't answer the question. Cowardly, cowardly stuff. Twitter is guilty of putting their thumb on the scale. Twitter is guilty. Guilty of trying to tilt an election. And he's not the only one. This uh, from Congressman Kevin McCarthy, the Republican minority leader, talking about Adam Schiff. But another thing we should look at that just came forward The Democrats have politicized our intelligence committee. You've watched it year after year since Adam Schiff has become chair. No, he doesn't warn us about Ukraine or Afghanistan or what's happening around the world. He tells you about politics. But the worst part of it is you cannot trust what he tells you, that he lies to us. Just watch what has happened. Two years ago, Schiff stated the emails found from Hunter Biden were all whole smear on Joe Biden comes from the Kremlin. That's what the head of the intel said. But if you recall, Jonathan Turley has an article written, I believe, in October 2020. After Schiff said this to the American public. Remember, the election's in November. But the director of national intelligence, John Radcliffe, said no. That's not the case, that there is no intelligence out there to base it upon what Adam Schiff, as the chair of the Intel Committee, was telling the country. And what did we just find out yesterday from The New York Times? Yes, it is Joe Biden's laptop. And yes, Adam Schiff lied to us one more time. Why is he still chair of the committee and why is he even on the committee? In a new Congress, if it's a new majority, he will not be. You cannot make this committee political. You cannot use it as a position of a chairman to lie. And you should be focused on what the American people want you to be focused on around the world. How did you miss Afghanistan collapsing? How did you miss Ukraine? How have you missed every single part? Why? Because you're out lying about an impeachment and everything else. That's not your job. That's not your role. And we should be able to trust the chair of the Intel Committee to be honest with the American public, regardless of what political realm is in. He's right. And Adam Schiff should be thrown off the Intel Committee. And when the Republicans take power, they should strip him of all committees. Gone. Because he did lie. And he added to the cacophony that allowed groups like Twitter to say, not only is this fake news, we won't even allow it to be shared. He is as guilty as Twitter of putting his thumb on the scale and tilting an election. 
Twitter did what the Russians only dream about, what they claim Trump was doing. Twitter did it. And you better damn well believe I believe they should be held accountable. Does this mean I'm rushing out to cancel my Twitter account? It doesn't. Maybe it means I absolutely should. Maybe it means to be done. Or maybe it means to still use the platform while I still can. To expose what they're about. I don't know, maybe that's a pipe dream. Maybe that's just silly. Maybe it's just walk away time. But what I'm asking you to do is take this conversation to friends and family and ask them, is it okay that Twitter, without any knowledge, other than it wasn't helpful to their guy, stopped journalists from engaging in journalism and sharing a story? Because if they're okay with that, I, I would say this to you directly, if you're okay with that, then you and I believe in a much different America. And when I say that, I mean I'm the one who actually believes in it. The people who think that what Twitter did is okay, I don't know what they believe in. I'm Tony Counts. So producer already started asking me bourbon questions. And, and I'm like, all right, what, what, are, what are we talking about here? How long bourbon has to be in, in, in the barrel, right? There's a difference between whether or not the, the bourbon is in the barrel for like a minute or, or for two years or for four years, and that has a difference of whether or not it's referred to as uh, straight whiskey or, or not, just like whether something is referred to as a straight rye or, or, or not. That's... That's the the conversation of the barrel and how long it spends in there. In case you were curious about bourbon, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good uh, to be with you. These questions do come up uh, during uh, the the break. And with uh, St. Patrick's Day having having just passed, I I don't know if people celebrate. Did they celebrate last weekend or are they going to celebrate this weekend? I didn't celebrate. Why not? I don't know. I just I'm, I'm not Irish, I guess. Yeah, but I don't think that's that's the rule. I think you can still have yourself a a, a drink and have a good time. And I wore I, green yesterday. All right. So no one can pinch me. Is that why you, you wore it for a defensive purpose? Yeah. Were you getting pinched yesterday, Tony? I wasn't. But oh, I would have uh, pinched you. I, that's that's awkward. Super awkward. Right there. Keep it right here. This is Tony Katz today. Yesterday, President Biden said that, in his opinion, war crimes have been committed in Ukraine. Personally, I agree. Intentionally targeting civilians is a war crime. After all the destruction of the past three weeks, I find it difficult to conclude that the Russians are doing otherwise. But does calling Putin a war criminal somehow ratchet down the tension? We can't send MIGs because it's a provocative action, but we can call him a war criminal and have that verified by the Secretary of State. I am confused by American policy. I am also confused by the inability of the Russians to close this thing out. Not that I want them to, but they're supposed to have the, the far superior military. The reporting today was that 75% of the Russian military is involved in this action in Ukraine, and they're being thwarted 
by grandmothers with Molotov cocktails? Nothing makes sense. Nor do I see a reason for Vladimir Putin to stop based on his own words. So is there a peace deal in the offing, as, as has been discussed, but is not yet realized? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's great to be with you. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, retired uh, from the United States Army, a war a college guy, I should say West Point a guy, a man who has studied and is a, an analyst on television and radio everywhere. Uh, let's start with this, with the Russian military. All reports say they have stalled, yet all we hear about is the shelling, the destruction of the theater in Maripol, where there were women and, and children. What is this military doing right now? They're, they're stagged. They're, they're, they're shut down for all practical purposes except uh, on the artillery and from indirect air support. They, they are stagnant. They haven't moved. No major advances on any of their fronts. Um, doing uh, what they normally were doing at night, and that's shelling civilian locations, not creating any other kind of military advantage. And what I think is happening at night is the Ukraine military is out hunting and small patrols. You know, this has turned into a guerrilla war for them. You know, there's no maneuver taking place on the side of the Ukraine military. They're not maneuvering tanks into certain locations. They're now down to small units with javelins and the small things and, and, the, and the, the individual weapons we've provided them. And they are just wreaking havoc on these Russian formations. But um, they're not – the Russian military does not continue to show <clears throat> any kind of coordinated fight from the air or from the ground. And their, their forces are all artillery or indirect fire. And so that's what the Ukraine government is going to – is really focusing on trying to take those, those uh, assets down. It is when, – when you talk about how the, the Russian military is, is advancing, give me a conversation or tell me about tactics. How should this have gone down, and why is it that the Russian military has not engaged in what I think was perceived as the way they were supposed to? I, th- I think first and foremost they've been given an impossible mission. And, you know, they're on the offensive. And when you're on the offensive, you have to keep moving. You have to be resupplied. You have to be fed. You have to have um, ammunition. There's all other things that go with it that it doesn't appear that the Russian government has provided the military for. And that's why they're stopped. That's why these convoys continue to be stopped. So once they now go on the offense and they they stop there, now they then have to go on the defense because they just can't sit there. They have to then protect themselves. You've got videos now of Russian tanks going into defensive positions, which is somewhat unusual. But but they've been given this mission of taking these cities that they thought they were going to roll into, and they're just now seeing in, in real time that it's, it's impossible, uh, given the square space of the city, uh, coupled with the amount of people that are in there, coupled with the, the amount of forces that are attacking them. The, these, these counterattacks are inflicting the kind of damage uh, on Russian forces that you'd only expect from a peer adversary. You would not expect this from the Ukraine military, and it happens day in and day out right now. So, so they don't know. They're, they're really no longer on the offensive. They, they, they're on the defensive. They're on a you know operational pause is what it's called. But they're just going to die in place, frankly, and that's that's what we're seeing. That that's what they're doing. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, the the Ukrainian military. We hear so much about the people fighting back. We don't know much about the military uh, in and of itself. Is this a well-trained fighting force? How many people were in the, the, the Ukrainian military, and, and what kind of training were they getting? Yeah, great question, Tony, and something we really haven't talked about, and the fact that we're seeing now over the past 10 years the transformation of the Ukrainian military from a former 
Soviet-type military, which was full of corruption and graft and non-professional soldiers. And because NATO has gotten involved in the past 10 years, let's say the past six years, since, since after the invasion in, in Crimea, since there's been more support as a not a NATO country, obviously, but as a NATO friend and partner and the like, and we've been sending National Guard units and we've been training them on all the different things about Western military values and sources and the importance of non-commissioned officers and the importance of leadership. And we've trained them on specific tactics. You, you, there's videos out now, for example, of Ukraine military just, just overwhelming Russian armored vehicles, infantry overarming Russian armored vehicles, and they're so afraid to fight inside those vehicles that they're not even fighting in through the ambushes. So I think a lot of it has to do with what we've been doing, NATO forces as well, but the United States in particular for the past uh, you know, six or seven years and transformed what was once a very broken military. If this happened six years ago, Vladimir Putin made the mistake. He probably realizes it now. He could have done this six years ago right before Donald Trump was president, and he would have rolled right through, and he would have gotten the result he wanted. But this, but the Ukraine military, with its numbers in, in excess of 100,000, and now with all the people coming back and the irregulars and all of the other folks that are involved in it, it's their, their combat multipliers lay over the, t the technology we've given them, and they are a formidable fighting force to, d to defend their country. As, as this is happening and as this is going on, we see that China, while not uh, as we can see with, with, with the naked eye, is supporting Russia, or at least uh, you could argue in their corner. India still continues to buy their oil. This is a guy in, in terms of uh, Prime Minister Modi who had a fantastic relationship with, with, with President Trump. This is a clearly Western-looking society, understands the threat uh, that, that China is, sees itself as saying we shouldn't be the subcontinent, we should be the power player, and certainly wants to build itself, it seems uh, to be. Mm -hmm. Where what what's the one-two punch here that has them still, if you will, siding with Russia? Is that the proper way to say it? And yeah. how does this stop? No, that's right, and and it's a failure in our uh, foreign policy and our State Department from recognizing that the problem with India is our relationship with Pakistan and how we we side on with Pakistan in most times and how we've tried to keep them at arm's length. We've tried to use Pakistan to help in Afghanistan and, and we and we kind of um, you know kind of tiptoe around that, that knowing full well that they are full blown enemies with India and um, we, we continue to side with Pakistan. So I believe that's the cause of this. It's something that needs to be fixed. In, India has a billion people. China has a billion and a half people. We can't have three billion people on our you know, on, on our adversaries, um, but it's a good example of we didn't sow the proper relationship going back years, and now we have to reap what we sow. So India is going to continue to buy weapons from Russia. They're going to buy their fuel. They're going to buy their, their natural gas, um, and it's, uh, it's something that we need to work on strategically, but we just haven't been able to focus on it. So now we take a look at, at some of uh, the next steps, and, and, you know, there was this commentary from Steny Hoyer, who is the uh, number two, number three guy in, in the House of, of Representatives, Democrat from Maryland. Let me let me play this for you as well. Uh, the partisanship that we confront and the polarization is a far bigger issue than whether we vote by proxy or vote in person. This polarization is hurting our country. This polarization where we are not thinking about the substance, but the politics is hurting America. And the fact at a time of war, we're at war. We're not physically on the field with the Ukrainians, 
but we ought to do everything we possibly can to make sure that they uh, can, uh, can meet this enemy and defeat this enemy. Well, not being on the field kind of would tell me we're not at, at war. But these kinds of commentaries, the one from Representative Hoyer, hearing President Biden refer to Putin as a war criminal, it's not that I disagree, it's that when Lindsey Graham is saying we should assassinate him, people are like, don't say that. This, this isn't going to help. And now you've got Pelosi saying we should take out tanks. Biden calling him a war criminal. The Secretary of State backing him up. Steny Hoyer saying it, we're at war. Has the United States acted in a way where we feel like we are the ones at war? And Or sh- at, to a different point, should the United States be acting that way? I, I don't think so. I, I think that's just not productive and... You know, there's a war happening there. There's a regional conflict happening in Europe that we're trying to supply um, ammunition and, and weapons to the, the, the country that we feel uh, is at a disadvantage, and we're doing everything we can. Um, but we're, we're taught – our rhetoric is just so overheated now politically on just – on all sides of the spectrum, Tony. You know that. It's just – it's everywhere, and it's just not – it's not helpful. You don't see the Chinese necessarily talking like that, and, and it really creates a legitimacy problem. And I think when um, – you know, we're, we're clearly in a, in a global competition for resources, as, you know, as we have out there, but war means something totally different. So we're not at war. We're, we never – let's hope we never go to war. We, you have – President Biden talking about World War III. I mean, let's not even go to that spot. Let's let's just continue to support our, our NATO allies, support what we can for the Ukraine people, and do what we can diplomatically back end. But but the proxy war is on. The Chinese are going to support the Russians. Um, it's likely the, the Russians are going to continue to try to pound, pound, pound away. The question is how much the Ukraine military can and can embarrass and can and do what they can. Um, but but uh, Russia still holds a very hard upper hand in what's going to be a very long urban conflict, potentially. To that point comes the idea of these so-called peace talks that we've seen reported on a, a, a few times. There is the story that uh, Vladimir Putin had the conversation with President Erdogan of Turkey and reiterated that it's Ukraine not joining NATO, limiting its 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 military. Those are the things that are necessary in mm-hmm. order for a, a peace to come. But as I have seen the stories, Ukraine is already saying, okay, we're not going to join NATO, although they are looking to join the European Union. And I'm not so sure what limiting the Ukrainian military actually looks like. But does anybody believe that Vladimir Putin is serious about trying to put an end to this? And is it because he recognizes that his military is stalled and there will come a moment where these guys simply walk away? Hell, there are reports that they're shooting themselves in the legs mm-hmm. to be able to get off the, off the field. Yeah, I, 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 you know, he's the only one that can control this, Vladimir Putin, in terms of when it stops. And I don't think he's seen enough damage. Maybe he'll get talked into the fact that if um, he can avoid Mariupol and or, or can take those regions in the south, it gives him that permanent land bridge. He's not had the resources to take Odessa. He can't necessarily control the entire coastline to the Black Sea, um, failing miserably in the east, um, still in, in, in Kharkiv. There's still not uh, success there. And I think Kiev and Indobov itself will be a battle that we haven't seen since Stalingrad. And, and again, as we are pouring these kinds of um, individuals served weapon systems in, and when we bring those switchblades in and we start loitering drones up there for 40, 45 minutes and taking out counter-battery, you know, every artillery round that the Russians fire has a return address. And I think you're going to see a lot more of counter-battery. You're going to see a lot more of, of that happening on the Ukraine side. So 
It's all up to Vladimir Putin. The question is, can he get himself an off-ramp that makes sense to him? And I just don't still see it yet. We can't trust him to think that he's going to do it. That is Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. Uh, look, I, I, I like bringing you in, uh, and, and I appreciate you taking the time uh, to go over, go over all of, of this with us. Um, is just as, as we do for clarity, is there any possibility you see of NATO getting involved militarily as in troops on the ground in Ukraine? Is there any situation outside of an attack on a NATO nation that you see happening that changes the idea that the Ukrainians have to take care of this for themselves? There will be no uh, no, no-fly zone. That's something they have to handle on their own. Is there any version of this you see with the U.S. getting involved on the ground? Tony, I, I don't think we would even respond with troops on the ground if Russia, and I think they're going to eventually make a mistake as they're trying to launch missiles into the um, western part of Ukraine to take out and interdict our supply lines there. They went after an airfield there in, in Liev there. So I, I don't think we would even respond with troops on the ground when one of those missiles is finally going to cross the border. It's going to hit Poland. It's probably, it might hit Romania. I, I, I think that's a matter of time. And in some ways, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens half on purpose to see what we would do. I think we would respond in kind. We were, would respond in the air, but, but, but to actually put troops on the ground, and, and frankly, the dirty little secret is it would take us months to muster the forces to do that, to have an impact on the ground, and, and where would we put them? I mean, you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago that if this thing went well for the first two days, he took uh, Kiev and he, w- and he combines with Belarus, and he heads north. He's got 250,000 troops, and he takes Estonia. Now you have a full-blown NATO war, which still would take a couple of years to muster the troops to eject them from those Baltic countries. Um, we, 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 all our power comes from the air. All, all our power is in strategic weapons right now. It's not on the ground. So that's why to say we're going to put troops on the ground is, is probably a bridge too far. I, I should say, for the record, that I have said, and I do believe, that Putin is desperate to get NATO involved so he mm-hmm. can say, see, world, NATO yep. is trying to destroy the Russian people. That That is absolutely a desire, absolutely how he's playing it. Um, yep. Thank you for, for at least sharing in the theory. Major Mike Lyons, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, on the Twitter box. You can follow him there. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. of Santa Barbara are fighting back. They are so brave. I have often said the people of Santa Barbara, California, amongst the bravest people in Santa Barbara, California. They have decided to get together to make the claim that Chick-fil-A is a public nuisance. Of course, because of their religious stance or something. No, No, it's because those bigots at Chick-fil-A make such delicious chicken sandwiches. And, oh, the waffle fries. Have I brought up the waffle fries? Uh, That uh, the the, uh, drive-thru window uh, gets backed up into the streets, and it's making it difficult for people to get by. Yes, 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 yes. So Santa Barbara, amongst the most expensive and woke places in America, is 
frequenting the Chick-fil-A. Oh, God! Yes, they are. And it's causing such a backup. Ew, David. It's an expression. What's wrong with you? That it's interrupting traffic because it turns out people love chicken more than they love wokeness. All right, all right, all right. And so the city council there wants to call it a public nuisance. I'm sorry. That story has so many layers, I don't know what to do. Fantastic. The story of this swimmer out of the University of Pennsylvania is making national news because it should. But I like to focus on the subject and not the person. And the subject is, we got to talk about it. 